Were you not considering not going back to rugby league? Yeah, for a long time. And, and then there was another light bulb moment where I think your mother said to me, well, what would they want you to do? And um, yeah, that, that made me focus and I, I just changed and come back better than ever. Part of me was wanting to make sure I did really good for both of them. And the criticism too, you know, the criticism hurt me. I understood why I was because my mind wasn't in it and my heart wasn't in it when I was playing and I, I'd lost them. Yeah, that was a tough time. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people, one of the 29 clan groups that make up the Eora Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners who are connected to this land and acknowledge their unbroken connection and sovereignty to all the lands that now make up Australia. We extend that acknowledgement to all of the traditional owners connected to the country you may be listening to this podcast from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Before we get into today's episode, we do want to warn listeners there is some content that could be triggering for some people. If there's anything that's brought up today that affects you, know there is someone out there to listen. Make sure you call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome back to When We Grow Up, the podcast where we ask where we've been to know where you're going, where we're going. Why do I say you're going? Wow, it's the first time I've stuffed that up. Anyway, we're your hosts. I'm Marley Silva. I'm Nico Hines. And today our guest is someone I know pretty well. It is <laughs> my dad, Rocket Rod Silva, sitting beside me. This is a pretty nice moment, I think. And first of all, how does it feel to be on the couch with us, Dad? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, I don't know what we're, what we're going to talk about, but yeah, it's good. As I was saying, just before we started recording, you've been jing me up about coming on as a guest since we started the show. For people who aren't familiar with you and your has-been ways, you did play 14 years of professional rugby league. That is sort of the reason that I was born into footy. And there's a lot of the parts of your story that I think really align with the sort of conversations that we have. So, I, you know, we're not very serious usually okay. in our lives, okay. but... Are you happy to? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Get vulnerable. Yeah. You seem very nervous, Rodney. No, no, I'm not. I just that's weird because I don't know what you're going to talk about, so I'll have to come up with stuff. Have you not listened to our podcast before? Uh, parts of it. Oh, <laughs> parts. Of you're it. lying through your teeth. Parts of it. Maybe the introduction. That's about it, and a couple of one-liners. But yeah, <laughs> not a lot of content, unfortunately. All right. Well, I promise we'll throw you some softballs to start. Okay. Right? Okay. But we start all of these episodes. If you haven't listened, you know, more than a minute in, Dad, you might not know this, but we start all of our episodes by reflecting on a win and a challenge that we've had personally throughout the week. So something that's been good, something that's made us happy and something that has maybe, you know, been a bit of a challenge or something that we've had to overcome during the week. We won't make you go first because you don't even know what it's (laughs) entailing. We're actually going to make you go first, Marley, for once, because you always make me go first. (laughs) I do. And I was going to do that then. So for me, I feel very privileged in the sense that I'm struggling to come up with a challenge. I think everything is flying pretty high for me at the moment. I would say a challenge that I'm anticipating is just juggling the many kind of balls of my life and things are pretty busy and hectic and doing a lot of travel. At the moment, I'm running off adrenaline and like a couple of hours sleep and I feel good. But I had hours last night. 
Hmm? You had eight hours last night. I do not have eight hours. <laughs> yes. What? What? You were tracking my sleep? Well, you went to bed at like nine and you got up at eight. I wasn't. As- longer than eight I hours. wasn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was like not straight to sleep. I was packing. I was unpacking and repacking and preparing for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> and anyway, I'm just saying that I'm conscious of that being something I have to say on top of in order to be my best self. That was your challenge? That was my challenge. Okay. My win went well, was speaking at an event in Adelaide yesterday and I've just met some really cool people, like just some really amazing women. I met Lauren Jackson and Erin Phillips, had a big fangirl moment. Uh, some incredible female athletes like Lauren Jackson, the GOAT, absolute GOAT. And then you guys might even not know who she is, but Poe. Ling Yao, who's the first winner of MasterChef. She's this, like, amazing chef, but, like, just a really cool woman, had some amazing conversations. She's keen to come on the podcast, actually. Did so she cook you some uh, vegan meals? No, no. <laughs> I was just in conversation with her like this at the event, which was really cool. And, yeah, when she's in, in Sydney, maybe she can cook us up something and we can have a chat with her on the show. Why is it steak? Cool. I'm sure. I'll t- I'm sure she cooks a lot of meat. I'm the only non-meat eater. But... That was awesome. Felt, yeah, really, really cool after those conversations, meeting some amazing women. Nicholas. Challenge. Where my win first, actually? Win was a Perth trip. Yes. When this is released, it's going to be a couple of weeks probably from then. But playing rugby league in Perth was something that, you know, I never thought, you know, I got to experience of origin and that's always a big spectacle wherever you are in Australia. But going over there for... Just an NRL club game, um, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Double header, so I think it was a sellout. We had like 40-something, nearly 50,000 fans there. The streets were vibing and we got a win. We beat South and it was something we bloody needed for <laughs> a few weeks just to pick our confidence up and, um, you know, we're, we're feeling really good at the moment. Yeah, it was a really great time and celebrating Ways 250th Sharks game, Jesse Raymond's 100th Sharks, Matt Moylan's 100th Sharks. Royce Hunt's 50th Sharks game. So it was just a really good time to be at the Cronulla Sharks, especially after the three weeks where we had a bit of a tough slog there. And it's just good to get the boys, see them smiling and getting happy. My challenge, it's like a weird challenge because Wade Graham, we had a dinner for his 250th and he announced his retirement mm. at that, that dinner. And it's not really a challenge for me, but it's more like, looking at Wado and his career and how much of a successful and great career and the leader he is. And he's like an older brother to me. Ever mm-hmm. since I've come to Sharks, he's you know been there for an ear to listen to. He's gave me advice. He's told me to pull my head in if I had to pull my head in or just just really be an older brother to me. And mm-hmm. the challenge is that, you know, we've only got four more regular season games with him. Mm-hmm. Um, we lose a leader. We lose a, a really good mate. And he's the type of bloke that you just never want to retire, you just want to be around him all the time and, yeah. and um, him to take the field with you and it just gives you confidence in, in a player and as a mobility and as a person. So, yeah, it's just going to be a challenge not being able to see Wado every day yeah. at work. And, yeah, and he's had such a great career. So congratulations, Wado, and um, hopefully we can send you out on a high this year. Yeah, definitely. Dad, I'm sure you can relate to that with some of the leaders that you played with. Were you with, playing with Bar when he retired? Yeah. So Who Terry was? Lamb? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, One of the absolute goats of the dogs. Yeah. So um, it was a great time. But he, he was never lost to the club. He, he went straight into a marketing role. He's still there now. Yeah. <laughs> I, spoke to, I spoke to him yesterday. But, yeah, he's Canterbury. When you think of Canterbury, I think 
you think of Terry Lamb. So, yeah, I was privileged enough to play with him and, yeah, be there when he finished. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. Well, you got a taste for what a win in the challenge looks like, yeah, Rocket. So the, you got one? The win is um, the Bulldogs. We won because we had the bye. <laughs> <laughs> so we're two you in a row. You don't play for them anymore, mate. No, is you, that your win? You feel like you do when, because you feel their losses. You feel all the stuff they're going through, um, especially because we were pretty successful when I was playing. So it's hard to watch them, you know, and especially because Braden's there. Yeah, I've, and your nephew. Yeah, and it must be hard to watch the Bulldogs when you're in a Sharks jersey, a Sharks <laughs> training the shirt. Time, yeah, because you're no, coaching the Sharks yeah, under sixteen. Uh, look, I enjoy or? that. I enjoy the Sharks Junior um, Academies because I think for you, they, they're going to produce a few first graders. The program's really well run um, with Brails and Nick Ennis, Gal, all the coaching. You know, Bryce Channel behind the scenes, but. The, all the kids that go there, I can tell you from my couple of academies involvement, they all love being there and they all listen, especially when Gal talks. They listen. It's, That's it's good because we never listen to him when he talks. <laughs> no, no, it's amazing, especially the forwards because the, in, in the, the academy sides I've been involved with, the kids are uh, normally a year or two younger than what the age group is they're um, recruiting for. So they just bring them into the system and the, – there's some big young kids, but they, as soon as he says something, like it's, you know, they just stop doing what they're doing and, and take notice. Um, I'm going to challenge you to to tell us a win that's personal to you, though, or win. something in your week. As a win? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I went to the World Cup, watched the Matildas and played the Danish side. And, Denmark. Yeah. yeah, That's a great win. That is yeah, great. That, was, that was unreal. It was fantastic to be there. I don't think I've ever been to that stadium before when they've had 75,000. Mm. Um, and it, it, the Aussies, the Matildas played fantastic but and they scored two great goals. But when Sam Kerr started warming up, mm. it was like we'd won lotto. Um, mm. Was it loud as? Yeah, it was loud as. Like, And you think for a goal or a try or something, you'd, it'd be more. But just when she started, you know, she, she warmed up for about 20 minutes and then – there was kind of a bit of a lull and then she took her training top off and put her playing jersey on and it was just, yeah, uh, the crowd was just going nuts. That feeling was, would be It was unbelievable. It you was, know, you yeah. know that the commentary was saying that you know, the Matildas haven't played that good, you know, we'll take the 2 nil win. I'm thinking, what the fuck? I don't, I don't know <laughs> soccer but a World Cup win at 2 nil was a funny, yeah, pretty and it's big a, thing. Like a, yeah, and they Denmark were good. is strong. Yeah, they were good. They were good. They, they challenged us a lot but I don't know. Probably since that Nigerian loss, mm, they've been a different team. Yeah. And I think they knew Sam was coming back. So um, I didn't realise, you, you don't see it on TV, but gee, she kicks the ball hard. And it, it's like a, I suppose it's like when any, in your game, you know, they're always worried about you. The other side was always worried about so, her. No matter where she was, there was about three or four of them around her. I think I said something today about an expert saying that she might not even start next game. She'll start next game. It's like it's like saying that they've all stepped up. Yeah, they all stepped up. But she's <laughs> oh, like, what they think no. that they've yeah the other That's girls ridiculous. are played too good for her to come in. No, pretty, she'll I, start. I think I read something. I didn't want to keep because as soon as I read it, I was like, I don't want to read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's she's like, the best player. That's one the, of the best player in the world. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like she's in the in the world, yeah. let alone. Australia, so that's just crazy to think that they're not mm. going to start her when she's right. She's yeah. she needed that game time. I think everyone was really nervous about her playing, and when she slept, 
was a groin, but yeah, yeah everyone panics. So, yeah. But that's good to be a part of. Your challenge, though. Challenge is uh, turning up the work every day. No, no, I'm <laughs> joking. Um, my challenge is trying to keep our, our league tag side uh, focused because um, we're going for our three-peat and we've got a lot of challenges this this time around. Aquinas and Brighton will be good. So, so you're just proving that even after over 20 years of retirement, the athlete <laughs> mindset doesn't well, you, leave you. you know, you're, no you're, so league tag, just regular competition you're yeah, very worried so about over it over 35s but our team are good and they're a good bunch of blokes so and i love playing with them so you just worry about disappointment but if you worry about disappointment then it'll happen so you, just you love playing with them playing in the same team mate okay <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah. well now let's get into the real stuff okay okay so our show's all about reflecting on your younger self what they would think of what you've done, what advice you would impart on them if you were able to speak to them. And we do that by bringing up some photos for you to look at. Okay. You're acting like you don't even know that. See, this is how little you've listened to Sorry, the show. No, the he knows. He's just pretending. Where's the photos? Well, hey, well I'm, I'm gonna, about to get them up. But yes. before we do, yes. Rocket, ever since I've met you, <laughs> the day I met you, I've been looking forward to this day. Okay. To hearing... You speak from the heart and tell us your journey. Yep. Marley and Keely have always spoke about, you know, the journey you've had. So from brother to brother, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Okay. First photo. Three, two, one. Look at that cute little face. <laughs> that is Rocket <laughs> Rod Silver in a school photo. You've got yeah, a little- Primary school. Primary school. Shelby Primary School. Um, How old do you reckon you are there? Probably seven or eight, I suppose. First class probably. Got a little chip in your tooth, in your front yeah. tooth. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought that was a part yeah, of the flip. Yeah, <laughs> I did that at my cousin's in Musselbrook. We were playing on the swings and um, the swing hit me in the, the tooth. And that was it. Oh. <laughs> um, so where was this at? Musselbrook. Musselbrook. No, no, your school. your school. Oh, Shelby Primary. Mounty County, brother, 2770. Out west, <laughs> western <laughs> Sydney. That's it, man. Grew up in Mount Druitt. Yeah, Mount Druitt boy. And That's very proudly. My, That's where I got my speed from. Running from the cops. <laughs> well, now you are a cop. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So well, a transition from one side to the other. We'll get to that. Yeah. Looking at this little boy, I just think it. you look so cute there. Nico, do you think he looks like either me or Keely for starters? Probably more Keely. The eyes, hey. Cute little dimple too. That little boy there. Yep. What was he like? He was pretty active. He was sport mad. I'd, I'd play any sport until... I had to come inside, so we were always outside on the road playing footy or cricket or whatever, anything with a ball. And then, yeah, and once the lights come on, the street lights, we'd have to go in for dinner and, you know, have a bath and get ready for the next day. <laughs> yeah, but so. what was he like? I don't know. I, what do you reckon, like, your best mates like Risco and Jono oh, would say they, about They'd you? probably say I was okay at most things. No, but as a person. Oh, Yeah. Uh, shy, yeah, pretty quiet. Uh, didn't say much really. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why. I, I think, yeah, as I got older, but I was shy and quiet and, and that because there weren't many blackfellas. So it was kind of, you'd get, people would look at you differently and at school and that you'd get treated because I was the only blackfellow. You were kind of by yourself and, you know, things would happen where, 
now as a man, I know it was kind of, they, they were probably fearful because my skin was a different color and they didn't know any better, some of the kids. So, was there many Polynesians out there then? Uh, not really, but there were other nationalities. There were other Mediterraneans and yeah. Like immigrants and stuff. Yeah, there was plenty of, but um, I was the only blackfellow, I think. Or our family were the only Aboriginal family. What, in Shelby? Yeah, or at our school that I can remember. There mm-hmm. might have been others, but maybe one or two, but, yeah, mainly white fellas. Mm. So that was all. Um, and I didn't realise that at the time, but you just you were treated differently because for one thing or another, I, I suppose. And I, I, I didn't really worry about it, but I knew there was something about me, I suppose. Mm. That's so interesting because I think like today we know Western Sydney has the highest concentration yeah. of blackfellas yeah. in the country. Yep. Really? Yep. Yeah. Biggest population of blackfellas is in Western Sydney. Yep. And I think important context, you're born 10th of December, 1967. Yep. That's old. A really big year for us. You know, we're oh, in a year referendum. where we're about to make a big decision on a referendum. Yeah. So similarly in 67, it was about us being counted as citizens for the first time. Yeah. So in terms of like political context, it's a really interesting time to be growing up as a black fellow. Yeah. You also had, you know, your mum, my incredible nan, who is such a trailblazer having been the first Aboriginal woman to get a Bachelor of Social Work from Sydney Uni. You're, you'd think... Yeah, I want to understand. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Do you remember, like, what conversations were like for you in the house around this age about being a blackfellow? Was it something you spoke about? Not really, not really. Like, what what role was culture playing in your Um, family life? Yeah, well, Dad was missing a lot because he was working or drinking or gambling, so he Mm. he was missing a lot. And Mum was trying to... Bring us up and work and study, so you know she she was home as much as she could be. But yeah, she was trying to keep us um, going. So the conversations were like any other family conversations, but I don't think we talked about culture much. We'd we'd go to Nan's at more, you know, we'd go to Maury in the school holidays to be with Mum's fam- side of the family and. Dad would be staying home working and, yeah, that would be basically it. We'd get a real good taste of culture when we saw our cousins and Mm. our grandparents and aunties and uncles. But I I suppose because we were by ourselves a bit, we were just trying to fit in. Um, So, yeah, we we didn't do much uh, really. Mm. Um, Although there there were other blackfellas in the area, but we we just kind of kept to ourselves. What are those experiences that you look back on now that you realise you were treated different because you're black? Just, you know, when when I got to be in high school, me and my mates would be out buzzing around, you know, just doing whatever kids do. Especially at, at dark, you know, when it was getting to nightfall and that, and if it was a Friday or a Saturday night when we were out and that, the police would be, you know, pulling up different groups of kids depending on the nature of their calls or if kids were underage drinking and that. And a couple of times there'd be a group of us but and I'd been the only black fellow and they'd kind of focus on me. So it, it kind of made you realise you're different and you're treated differently. So I, I just tried to make sure I didn't give them the satisfaction of, you know, 
um, saying anything to me. Or like they'd, they'd say stuff to you but not taking any action against me because I didn't do anything wrong. So, mm. yeah, that was just the way it was, I suppose. Did you have a dream of being a footy player at that age? Yeah, yeah, even earlier than that because um, – when, you, have you already started playing footy? That yeah. Then? So I started me and my brother Mac. I think we both started when we were four. He's two years older than me. He was a pretty good footballer too. And you might you might relate to this, but women and alcohol mess him up. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 a lot of my mates, a lot of my good mates, uh, they chose. I suppose they were good enough, but they just weren't dedicated because they'd rather a good time and, you know, stuff like that. But I had two older sisters, an older brother, a younger sister, so and I wanted to be the good one because throughout our childhood, you know, chose different paths and made things harder for our family. Both my two older sisters were pregnant by the time they were 16. My older brother, he, he was a bit of a drinker like my father, but he, he grew out of that. But these were all things that affected the family when I was I was young, uh, so I was trying to be the straighty one eighty. And then my younger sister, when she was eighteen, uh, she's two years younger than me. She got hooked on uh, heroin and and just had a life of being in and out of jail and um, hooked on drugs. I think she's doing it right now. But yeah, these are all things that made me want to make sure that I mum didn't have to worry about me. So. Dad drinking and gambling made me not want to drink or gamble and every kid dreams about playing NRL so I was like everyone else. And when I got to under-19s, so I was 18, a bloke that played in my team for our local side, uh, Leftridge Park, David Smith, he was a goal-kicking centre. Me and him were the centres for our, our C-grade side and we won the comp and he went down and trialled with the Roosters because uh, Penrith was pretty competitive. There was heaps of teams, heaps of, you know, you'd have to be pretty lucky to make it there because of so much competition. But um, he went down and trialled with the Roosters and he got graded in 1987. So he played, I think he got Rookie of the Year. Um, they come third. They got beat by Canberra in the final to go into the grand final against Manly. Can I just say, how do you remember that stuff? Because oh. there, you can't remember what you did last week. Oh, yeah, you remember footy scores and things yeah, like that. Yeah, no, no. I just remember that because Smitty was, he set the path for the other fellows that were in, that played for our club at Leftridge Park. And so after he got graded that first year, he spoke to Arthur Beetson because he was a coach. And yeah, Beetson said, bring him down. So there was about six or seven of us that went and trial with the Roosters. And yeah, we all got graded in the under-21s, it was then. And yeah, and then footy just went on from there. But, yeah, I remember meeting Beatso and that first year in 88 when it was my first year in under-21s, we had a bye because um, Gold Coast didn't have, you know, under-21s. So, and because we had a bye, they gave, and I was going all right, um, Beatso picked me to play fullback against the Gold Coast up there. And that was an eye opener because so your debut. Yeah, it was just my first first grade game. I only played one because I I wanted to stay with my team, and we had a pretty good team. And yeah, that was a big experience eye opener playing with you know blokes that I seen on TV. It was it was yeah, it didn't feel real, but it was it was good, um, and we won. So <laughs> yeah, that helps. And I didn't make any mistakes. So 
That was nice too. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves yeah, yeah. here, right? Yeah, cool, cool. And also, but that was my dream. Can you just in breathe, that brother? Yeah, breathe. No, no, that that was a, the dream of that kid there. Yeah, yeah. And you wanted to be an Ella, didn't you? Yeah, they, they were, I, I looked at the Ella boys because they were great with the ball, and I loved watching them on TV. But I think like that's a little boy with the dream who's from Chalvi, yep. who. As you're describing, like you've already mentioned Pop a couple of times. Batman was his nickname. Yep. And his nickname was Batman because he had a mono brow that looked like the um, <laughs> Batman um, bloody symbol, which is amazing. I think like one of the best nicknames ever. Yeah. But you've touched on and you, when you tell your story, and this is like a, I guess, like a weird kind of experience an interview for people to listen to because obviously there's parts that I know yep. that I want you to talk about. So I okay. apologise if that's a little bit okay. disjointing for some uh, people yeah, and I'm, I'm going to push you here because I know the power of what you've overcome. Yep. Batman, you know, may rest in peace and whatever. As yep. you said, he's dealing with his own mental health. Yeah. Was done in a lot of the same way a lot of people of that generation yes. did because it's yep. the same as my other grandfather, mum's dad. Yep. He was exactly the same. Yep. Their own struggles they masked with alcohol. Yep. And Pop, you know, as you said, put a lot of pressure on you guys. So you're this kid who has nothing. You feel this pressure that you want to be the one that Nan doesn't have to worry about. Yep. And you've got this footy dream. Yep. Like – it doesn't happen overnight. No, you, you've got to have a bit of luck and you've got to have a good support network around you, in my opinion. You've got to have people that you can bounce off and, and people you look up to. Who so, are those people? So so when I was growing up, my mates like Chris and Martin and their families, you know, I was always at their places. The Johnstons, so Chris and Chris's mum and dad treated me Your like a son. Mate. Yeah, yeah, look, treated me like a son. So I was always there when... There was no one home or, you know, and they'd take me to footy. And during my junior league days, the coaches would always pick up. So you'd have no dramas about going to footy. But in saying that, it was weird because mum was too busy to come and dad didn't really care. So you're basically going with your your mates to footy all the time. And they, I suppose they talked about, uh, I was going all right. So mum and that knew I could play footy, so... Um, they'd come to the big games if we made grand finals or something, but yeah, mum was always had a lot of other things on her plate, or she was going to church, and dad, you know, dad was just doing what he wanted to do, I suppose. Probably the coaches I had and and the blokes, you know, my mates that I was playing with, made it made me wanted to be better, just so I could help the side and affect the result. So yeah, as a kid, I used to run everywhere. Yeah, Mount Druitt was a pretty tough environment. When I'd have to, or anywhere at night by yourself, it was always a challenge because you just didn't know if you were going to run into someone or, so I think that's where I got my speed from, just, you know, <laughs> making sure I got home quick. And like I said, I didn't want mum to worry about me. So I was trying to do the right thing most of the time. A lot of people underestimate um, how much of a role a quality, like junior coach can play in your yeah. life, eh? Like, there's yeah, so many there's coaches out there who just rock up and just rock up the train a couple of days in the game and don't really care that much. But no. there's a lot of quality junior coaches out there who 
don't so much have the skill or to coach the skill, but because yeah. they actually have a care and want to know their players. Yeah. And like I can say underestimated now because there's a lot of players you make NRL who really do thank their junior coaches and they wouldn't be where they are for their junior coaches. So it's and nice to hear you say that. They teach you a lot of good habits when yeah. you're young. So all the good stuff you always remember. And when it in games when stuff goes, you know, comes off for you, you just go, well, yeah, if he didn't tell me that, I wouldn't do it. So That's right. You're, yeah, if you're a coach out there and you're listening, don't underestimate <laughs> your ability to change, young honestly man. change a, yeah. a kid's life. Or a like, young, young girl these days. Too. Yeah, exactly right. Like they can get to a, a position that, you know, we're all in now purely from their advice or their, their want and care to deliver for the kids. But you see it in the NRL coaches too, don't you? Like you always hear about players talking about Wayne Bennett and Craig Bellamy and how they man, man managers. So, yeah. you know, the football's important, but I think they they care about them personally as well mm. um, outside of football. So that was a thing with Jack Gibson who uh, I met when I was I first made it. He was more, I think, his coaching was so... Uh, unique because of his approach and he didn't really say much, but he'd always make sure that everything outside of football was fine. It was like Peter Moore at the Bulldogs too. He made sure that everyone was happy so the players didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. And that's why I think Canterbury were always successful. Let's go to the next photo, (laughs) which is you... Oh, the roosters. On debut, in your debut uniform in the tri-colours. I love that old style jersey with the collar. You look like an absolute bean pole. (laughs) Yeah. You weighed 69 kilos? 68. 68 kilos on debut, which sounds ridiculous. Yeah, 68 kilos. Skinny, young man. It's nice to see you smile with your teeth, can I say, because you don't often do that. And you're in front of a house. Is that your house? Yeah, that's the backyard. Out west? Yep. That's, as you were saying, like getting to that moment, that first game in 88 was pretty surreal for you. But you kind of glossed over what, like you said it's a bit of luck, but it's also a lot of hard work. When you look back on the, like getting to that point, getting to that first contract, that first jersey and everything like there was clearly a lot of sacrifice and a lot of mental resilience that must have come from that do you see that now like you said you reflect on that stuff like you do you doubt yourself because you know how competitive it is to make it and the roosters like i didn't grow up in that environment so i didn't really know how their system worked but we did the off season together the off season before 1988 so in late 87, we went down and, and trained and they had a big squad and then it got cold as you went closer to the season and then um, you just doubt yourself but mm. you just keep trying, I suppose, until how, they tell How did you overcome that doubt then? Just trying, making sure I put in a train, listen to what they told me, um, not going out, you know. if I wouldn't go out if we had games on or trials or, you know, just, I suppose, not so then, but later, as you get older, there was a lot of things that I had to miss out on when you're playing NRL. Like I'd miss my mate's weddings, bucks parties, you know, stuff like that. It does, they don't mean much, but if you want to make it, I suppose that's what you got to be willing to do. So I miss a lot of stuff. Deb, your mum went to a lot of stuff without me. It was just the way it was. 
and and that's I suppose you reap the rewards. Um, you know, not so much financially, but just you know, being part of a team that's pretty successful. It was it was nice to play in a team that could play footy and be competitive and, and yeah, really enjoyable to be playing something that you loved and you always dreamed of. What about like internally, the confidence in your own ability? Yeah. Did you always internally have confidence that you could make it, or was it always like, no, nah, I'm too small, I'm too little, I can't make it, or was it like, I don't have the facilities around me to make it, yeah. you know, what what was it? Or were you just like, you know what, fuck, I'm, I can be the best player in this competition. Yeah. I, can make I, it I don't know if I felt like that, but I, I felt like I knew I, I could, you know, sometimes if you got upset, if you got a, you know, a cheap shot or something, they used to fire me up and or if someone called me names, um, I, I'd use that to motivate myself to be better than them. So that's how I used it. But um, I didn't really... F- Think of the physical side of things because I was a lightweight and I, I know I was getting like I was pr- pretty fit and I think fitness saved me a bit but I think if I had more weight I, I would have been able to carry myself better. But when um, I first you know got graded, we didn't do weights. Like I didn't do weights until until they told me you had to. You know, we didn't, I didn't know what weights were. But yeah, as I progressed through the you know the years in the system and that. I, I learnt uh, diet mattered because when a young black fellow didn't <laughs> KFC and McDonald's and all that. You whatever. were still eating KFC on your way home from training no, the whole way through your career. No, I wasn't really, but yeah, things like diet and um, you know making sure you had enough sleep, all the basic things that are a part of NRL players now. It was just kind of when I first went to the Roosters, we used to train Tuesday, Thursday nights and Saturday mornings and we'd have a um, breakfast on Saturday morning because pizza was big on it and just have a yard. But it wasn't, you know, every day with one day off and all the stuff. But I think Nico's asking you about your mentality. Mentality. So I was pretty – I think I was pretty resilient because of my upbringing, Mm. Um, just trying to overcome being different, um, trying to, you know, if I I did get – if someone said something to me, I'd try and prove them wrong uh, instead of being, you know, thinking, oh, they're right, they're right. Um, but it took me a little while to um, get like that. There were a lot of days where I did believe stuff, you know. What um, kind of stuff? Just doubting myself, saying, oh, yeah, um, you're not good enough. Um, you know, after, especially in the juniors when I, if I ever had a bad game and we, I missed a goal kick or, you know, I did something, missed a tackle or anything, I'd take it to heart. So I'd always been pretty hard on myself. Did you doubt your ability to get there because of, like, what you didn't have? No, no, I, I, I didn't doubt myself for that. I just thought I mightn't have been good enough. My support network, I suppose, helped me because when I'd feel like I wasn't good enough, I knew our home ground, a lot of people would come and watch our team because we were pretty good. So, and I know they... A lot of them would tell me that they came to watch me and others mm. um, because we were So good. the community helped you believe yeah, in yourself? Yeah, yeah, and we always had a big crowd at home no matter who we were playing. So, uh, yeah, that's how it, I suppose, made, it, made me feel. Mm. This photo here too, you're 19 years old. Yep. Very significant thing also happens this year. What? 
I don't know, you start dating your wife. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a very lucky girl. <laughs> You're always the one who gets cut that she doesn't get a mention, but yeah, no, Deb- no, she, yeah, she, she. How many aunties you dislike? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she'll kill you for no, that. Um, yeah, she changed my life. So you're saying she's not just another auntie? No, no, she isn't. Um, a lot of stuff, probably since I met her, my path would have been different if I didn't meet her. She would have. Two weeks after we started going out, I, I could only wear footy shorts to training. <laughs> One wasn't allowed to wear them out. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> his dad used to wear footy shorts like all yeah, the time so, as his yeah. regular clothing. Yeah, <laughs> just a lot of things uh, she changed about me and for the better, stuff that I probably didn't realise or didn't worry about. But Do you want to tell the story of the night of like when you reconnected? So context, they went to high school together yeah. and nothing ever happened when they were at school. We were always good friends, always good friends. So, yeah, we always had that mutual respect for each other. We were in a lot of the same classes. Mum was um, smarter than you, don't lie. No, she thinks she is. No, <laughs> she probably is. But, yeah, so we always had a good relationship, you know, We'd always say g'day to each other, parties, and whenever we saw each other out. I think it was one of the wild clubs out there. Um, it was a Valentine's Day night, I think. Or, mm. Yeah. And I think that was our first time we were together. And, um, yeah, what do, you, what do they call it now? Hooked up, <laughs> whatever. And, yeah, that, that was it. That was. I think mum tells the story that you, because you're a bit, Notorious for falling asleep yes. in a nightclub on yes. the drink. Yes, <laughs> it is unfortunately very true. Very true. A, something I have inherited. Um, <laughs> but you fell asleep on a chair, and she put a piano cover over you. Yeah, and mm. then you freaked out or whatever. You called her the next day. But you're saying that you hooked up. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I know we. Mum was just trying to make out. She was a club pass or like a hookup. No, I think up. we went. I don't know if her, if she was driving or. Because yeah, she I was can't living remember. in the Shire. I can't remember. I can't remember if she wasn't drinking or whatever. Mum not drinking. Yeah. That's rare. But uh, I think we went uh, to the river, drove to the river and just. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll no, start No, 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 we just hung <laughs> out. We just hung out and, you know, kissing and that. that that's all. That's all. I think that's. Was our first thing? Yeah, that was it. You'd Stick, have to ask her. She's got a, no, she's got you a better You were saying she's going to be filthy because you've just remembered like a team that yeah. you didn't play in where they <laughs> finished in the 87 <laughs> competition, but you can't remember. You, yeah, you've got to keep some things private. Some yeah, things yeah, private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I wanted to point that out because you do attribute a lot of like the longevity in your career, which we're yep. about to get into, to yep. mum support as well. Yeah, for sure. Without her... Um, yeah, a lot of things would have been different with me. So mm. I'm very grateful. She did change my life. And then there was, during my football career, a lot of, there was a couple of other people that changed my life too, but she was the main one. Mm. Yeah. So you played your first seven years in the NRL for the Roosters. Yep. Then, yeah, tell the story of, of what happens and why you ended up being a Bulldog. So the ARL Super League War started in... So my last year at the Roosters, I spoke to Mark Murray, who was the coach. I said, look, Muppet, um, he was a school teacher by trade, so he understood and we had a great relationship. I said, look, I've always wanted to join the cops, so I need to go to the academy for six months to, to make that happen. And he goes, yeah, mate. So I teed it up. He goes, yeah, no dramas, as long as you, when you come back, on, you know, when we start pre-season on the, 
the, the later in that year, as long as you're fit, you know, and you pass the test, no dramas. Why did you feel like you had to do it then? Oh, just because I knew rugby league was not forever and I think 26 was a good age. I was going to do it earlier, but we got married and, you know, I thought it was just as that light bulb moment where I, I thought I made all the inquiries and they were actually going to send me in May. But I said, I can't because I've got to finish <laughs> the comps, finish our last games in August. So, so it was a class in August. I actually, so I signed up and, and I was all cool with Muppet. Your grandfather actually came to the, my last game. It was at Parramatta Stadium. We played para. I can't even remember the result. But I had in my bag and all that packed. And Dad, being the sort of bloke that he is, he drove me down. So it was a two-hour drive to uh, Goulburn with all my stuff. I said, oh, thanks for doing that. And he goes, yeah, good luck. And just drove back home after that. And I just, yeah, that was, I joined the, the cops. Yeah, I stayed down there for six months. In that off-season, Mark Murray got sacked by the Roosters and they brought in Gus Gould. And my I had a year to go on my contract, so because Mark Murray and had an unwritten agreement with me about, you know, being able to do that, I don't know if Gus liked it or he liked me as, as a player. But um, I played the first two rounds. And, you know, when you – look, we, we didn't play any good, but I didn't do – I didn't play bad enough to get dropped. And after the first two games, because we lost both of them, I got dropped to reserve grade, to the bench of reserve grade hmm. and for the next four games. And I didn't know, but, yeah, I was never to get a run because I um, signed Super League and the Roosters were ARL. Once I got dropped, I was thinking, oh, that doesn't sound right. So I said to my manager, can we start making inquiries to see if, if I'm either going to get a game or – it's the time to leave. So I got a release and it was – a lot of people say halfway through the year. It wasn't. It was six games, after mm. six games. And it was only – the only reason it took six games is because I didn't know until then that I wasn't going to get a game. So mm. I would have stayed there because I always wanted to stay with the one club. Just as a kid, I had that dream. And I would have, I suppose, if I could have. But um, as it worked out, I signed Super League. Uh, there was an opportunity at the Bulldogs and then – yeah, I went over there and was lucky enough to get a game at fullback and we had a pretty good team. They got but the year before they got pumped by uh, Canberra, Canberra in the grand final, so they were hurting from that. And I think I, I don't, I, I think I was the only change from that side that got beat the year before. So I was very fortunate to come in to a team that were really hungry and had that bad taste in their mouth anyway. And yeah, um, we were lucky enough to beat Manly in the grand final, so. It was a great decision. That, was that year, you went there. You won the first year. Yeah, first year, and then up yeah. until Sam Perrett, I think you were the only player in um, rugby league who transferred yeah. in the mid. Like when the Clint season knew, had already Clint started. Newton, um, there was a, there's been a couple others. Yeah, there's. But I remember you were like a trivia question on a beer. Yeah, cap. but it wasn't on purpose. And believe me, if I could have stayed, I would have stayed. Yeah, but it's still a cool <laughs> fact. For, the, for a period yeah. of time, you're the only player that had ever done yeah, that. Transferred in the season, win you know, a premiership. It's. Uh, that luck, you know, being fortunate uh, and going to a team that was already great and just slotting in was unreal. What I do want to talk about as well and something that, you know, for me just anecdotally always growing up, I I don't know how you came back from it, is the period of time where you lost Pop 
well, you lost Annie Cheryl first, so your yep. older sister. We haven't even spoken about Annie Cheryl, and I know how important she was in your yeah, life. Yeah, she was very important. And pop within a matter of 12 weeks. 12 weeks. It was 12 weeks, yeah. So Cheryl took her own life in January, and then Dad, 12 weeks later, died um, from a heart attack. So, yeah, it was pretty hard after I lost Cheryl. We lost Cheryl, sorry. Um, that was the start of, you know, the season. So I think... F- um, I was suffering mentally. I just, I didn't think I could get over it. So I was, I was still going to training and that, and I didn't tell anyone, I suppose. So you didn't talk to your teammates and no, stuff? No, not really. Oh, they knew, but I suppose so it was all about winning and, you know. Um, Can we talk about Annie Cheryl a bit? Because I know yeah. that she was probably. Yeah, well, we were very Nan close. With being yeah, away all she, the time, yeah, she's your older sister. Yeah, she was. She was our carer. Like she was making sure the younger ones, you know, got fed and um, went to bed, um, you know, had a bath, all the all the stuff her mother does. But she was doing it and she was only young too. So because she was the eldest, it was her kind of role because mum was working and studying um, and, and that's just how it was. So we were pretty tight because I was the youngest boy. I think she favoured me. Um, yeah, and we had a great relationship. So when I think of Braden, I I hear her voice saying, "You make sure you look out for that, my grandson." So that's that's how I feel about him because of her. But um, so that's Braden Burns. Yes. Yeah, yeah. My cousin. Yeah. Your nephew. Yeah. Annie Cheryl's grandson. Yeah. So the son of her oldest son. Yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. So that's an enormous loss. Yeah, and I, you know, if I. I don't, I don't. I didn't know how to deal with it, and I, I suppose our family we grieved individually and together, but we didn't know how to deal with it. And then I suppose, you know, that when and then Dad died, um, just made that year outrageous. How old were you then? Uh, when was it? Eighty-eight. Ninety-eight. 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 So thirty. I think I was thirty. Mm. And. Yeah. Again, this is just something I know anecdotally. You were being criticised in the media yeah. for not playing very well that year, and that balance of being yeah. an athlete with a public profile. Obviously, it was different than no social media or things, but yeah. you still had big names talking about how rubbish you were playing without yeah. any consideration for what you were going through. Yeah, that's true. And it wasn't until um, your your mother actually. Um, communicated with Ray Hadley. Hmm. That, um, yeah. She kind of yeah put him in his place and just said, "Hey, he's just lost his sister and his father." Yeah, yeah but I was a bit more animated than that. <laughs> um, I can imagine. And, and it, I think he appreciated the contact and he didn't realise what had been going on. I suppose so. I think he was good about it after that. Like when you use you lose your sister and your father, it's pretty tough on anyone. Definitely. Yeah. But I bounced back pretty well. Um, we come home with a wet sail and I was a big part of that. So, uh, But were you not considering not going back to rugby league? Yeah, for a long time. And, and then there was another light bulb moment where I think your mother said to me, well, what would they want you to do? And, um, yeah, that, that made me focus and I, I just changed and I come back better than ever. Part of me was wanting to make sure I did really good for both of them. And the criticism too, you know, the criticism hurt me. But um, 
I understood why I was because my mind wasn't in it and my heart wasn't in it when I was playing and I, I'd lost them. Yeah, it was a tough time, but um, it, it ended pretty well at the end of the year. Although we got beat by Brisbane, we I think we won about seven or eight in a row and every week we were, you know, getting beaten. <laughs> we just come back. So it was good. Do you think at that time there was much conversation about the mental health element? Um, not really. I, I don't think. I think it was like a bit of a taboo subject. Um, you just, if you're not playing good, well, that's your problem. It's nothing to do with, you know, what you're thinking of that. It was just, yeah, I don't think there was a human side to it. It was just kind of you're not playing good footy, so, yeah, no one really cared. Well, that's how I remember it. Maybe it was different, but, yeah, that's how I remember it. Are you a big believer of you have to be happy off-field to be playing good on-field? You can't play good unless you're happy off-field, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you see it with all the good teams, everyone's, you know, the teams that really like themselves, uh, you know, like each other, they yeah. seem to play better, in my opinion. And not, that's not just one year, to, one year like you see, You look at a team like the Panthers, they love hanging out with each other. Not a bad football team too, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think it's really important if, you know, foot, we always say that cliche, you know, football's just a game, but if you don't like hanging out with the people you're playing with, I suppose that makes it hard. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Let's go. This next photo, <laughs> sorry to be... Wasting your time here. Yeah. You're not wasting my time. You know, it's yeah, been fantastic. Yeah, much. exactly. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, sorry. It's fan- the next photo fantastic. is just of a this quite for me, when I think of your career, this is the photo that comes to mind. Okay. It's you celebrating after a try. Is this not this is not the ninety five grand? This final, is the it? last try in, in the, in the Winfield last Cup. ever Winfield Cup. Which is Peter Moore used to say to me all the time. Yes, mate, they can never take it that away from you. You've scored the last try ever in the last Winfield Cup. Mm. So it was a big moment and the it was re- considering I was probably the only new bloke in the in the team, the boys were over the moon. Mm. Um, he's not a bad ref either, Eddie Ward. <laughs> he's pretty good. Queenslander. <laughs> Queenslander. You're not Queenslander. <laughs> anyway, yeah. the reason I wanted to bring this photo to it is because I think it symbolises, you know, what your career was. You you had a 14-year career, which is a long time in rugby league. Yeah. You know. Fortunate. You've got to be lucky. Circles and stuff. Yeah. But since then you've, yeah, you were able to become a police officer while you're in it. You've remained a cop. You now work with kids. You've got your PCYC hat on. You've dedicated your time <laughs> to sort of giving back and creating yeah. safe and spaces for kids who are like you. Yeah. And... I guess I wanted to hear you reflect on from from that young man there to to where you are now. What are those kind of moments that you're most proud of and, and what you're doing now? So as a young man, I always wanted to join the cops because although I feared them, it looked like the community respected the guys in the uniform. So because there was so much history with our people and the police, um, I really wanted to see if I could affect it in a positive way. And I thought the best way to do that was within the organisation and making sure that young blackfellas didn't have to go through stuff I had to go through 
because of because we were different, you know, um, and because there was a stereotype about what young blackfellas did and what you know older you know Aboriginal men were drinkers and you know terrible drinkers and domestic violence offenders and all this other rubbish. But um, it made that's made me want to be a cop, so, so I could change the outlook of on Aboriginal people and how they're perceived by everyone. Um, you know that we you know don't work and we're violent and all the all the other rubbish that you know is put out there in the media when there might be an isolated incident involving you know blackfellas. So that made that drove me to wanting to be a cop and then football. As a young boy, as soon as I could play, as soon as I played, started playing, I, you, you want to play NRL. And I was fortunate enough to get there, but you, I, I remember there was a lot of sacrifices and a lot of time where you think, oh, maybe it's not meant to be. And then you just keep going and yeah, you're good enough and lucky enough you make it. So. Do you think that football gave you the platform then to have an even greater influence on the young people that you work with now? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, especially when I joined the Cops because I was already playing footy, so I was kind of, you know, it sounds weird, but everyone kind of knew who I was, I was when I went to the academy, which is nice and but weird because I was just like anyone else that wanted to be a cop. It's just that I, you know, I played NRL, I suppose. It was good with the bosses because the bosses, were, a lot of the older police bosses were all football heads. So, hey, special uh, treatment. Well, it wasn't special treatment, but it was nice that they knew who you were. Now, with the you work with young people in the PCYC, people who remind you of yourself. Yep. What is well, what's your focus when it comes to that work now? What's something that you're really passionate about? Just telling them my story and, and knowing that the little things that they they might be going through I've already been through so you know being hungry not having much like a materialistic uh, and you, you mean know, being hungry quite literally don't you yeah and you know have not having many clothes and shoes or you know different things you know all that stuff you know when kids are cruel too though <laughs> you know so in my role now I just try and show them you know, straight away that that's PCYC saved me. And when I was a young boy in Mount Druitt, I went to the PCYC and, and played all the sports and that and hung there because I didn't want to be out in the streets and get in trouble with the police. So it saved me and it feels funny, but, you know, after growing up at PCYC and now I'm in a role where I've, I work with the PCYC, uh, it feels, you know, that's where I'm supposed to be because I can tell these kids and show them that, you know, anyone can make it because I did. Amazing. What makes Rocket Rod Silver happy now? Um, going on holidays. <laughs> I, lo I love holidays. There's a lot of things. I like my girls. I like my wife being happy. Super proud of my two daughters and how they've made their own path through their own hard work. So that makes me happy. It's, it's just weird how it's NRL. Hmm. So <laughs> um, they're both, you know, they've, they've both chosen different paths but, They've got there by themselves, so that uh, really makes me happy. And, yeah, I just love going on holidays with my wife, so um, we can't wait to go on another one. Oh, my God. And, Nico, I'll leave it to you. You asked the same final question to all of our guests. Yep. 
Rodney Silva. <laughs> if you were looking in a mirror right now, yeah, and the person looking back at you wasn't you, it was younger self. What would you say to them? I'll say, Bud, you made a lot of great choices and you sacrificed a lot of things, but you should have went to Brisbane when John Rebo called you at the academy <laughs> and signed and played for Wayne Bennett and you should have went to England for a couple of years. Okay. But that would, that would probably be the only two things. Um, the girls probably would have been in, born in Queensland then, so who knows. Or what about um, would the young Rod Silva be proud of you now? Yeah, I think he would, but the young Rod Silver, yeah, I suppose he could, he could have been smarter, but that's what you say when you're older, I suppose. <laughs> but, yeah, he could have done things differently, uh, probably. Do you think you'd be disappointed in anything? Oh, well, like I could have tried harder at school, you know. I just did enough to cope and get through. Yeah, but regardless of all that shit, yeah, you're standing yeah. here right now right as a man. Now. You yeah, are. I, I think I think I've done that all right. That little boy with that dream. Yeah, I I think we've done all right. We've done all right. Everyone um, says they could try harder at school. Yeah, <laughs> fuck school. Who cares? You didn't yeah. need it. Yeah, no, I, I think we've done well. Um, but yeah, the only thing is maybe Brisbane and England were two things. Because you're obsessive. No, but I, I think like me and your mother have spoken about it. Just. We just go, oh, you You can't live with regret. No, but no, I I don't live with with regret. I just think how would it have been different? But obviously it wasn't meant to be. So A life's pretty good. Yeah, I'm not disappointed, so it's it's good. But to answer Nico's actual question, do you think he'd be proud? Yeah, I I think he'd, yeah, yeah, I think he'd be proud. To have overcome what you have? Yeah. And still be on this planet, yep. <laughs> no, I, I think he would. Yeah, a lot of resilience and overcoming stuff. So, yeah. I'm sure it would be, Rocket. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it would be. Yep. Well, Dad, thanks for sitting here and sharing this story. Yeah. You're welcome. It was it was fun. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't think I would remember, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why. Exactly. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of When We Grow Up. Make yeah. sure you're hitting subscribe wherever you and listen. And I've, I've got a message for Nico and this before I go. What? I, I brought a special message. Don't be silly. No, no, no. And, and this is the message for hey, you. Be and silly. Is no, no. No, silly because no, we'll no. cut you off. No, this is the message for you, you and your team. And with four weeks to go, it's so topical. But if you want to be there in the last last week, or the first week in October, mm-hmm. this is what you need to have. <laughs> and I wore, no, I wore this, no, I wore this shirt because it's got the message and I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to show you what it says. Well, you're also right. going to have to. Yeah, go on. Because that's what, what you got to have if you want to win. It says killer. Wow. <laughs> Special dad. That's a, that's a message for you and your mates. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> I'll show Fitzy this, yeah. this, this. I'll cut this little bit out and <laughs> yeah, show him. Yeah, yeah, But he, Fitzy already knows that. He knows that. <laughs> that's all he really wanted to do is come on here and talk about footy. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. That was good. All righty. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of When We Grow Up. Make sure you're hitting subscribe wherever you're listening. Share this episode with someone who you think might enjoy reflecting on when the Bulldogs used to win premierships. And we'll be back one day. We'll be back. Follow us on Instagram at When We Grow Up Pod. And other than that, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Rodney. Appreciate you're it. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs>